listening to New Layer, a design podcast with Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel. Today, I want to talk about what's challenging about working in design mm-hmm. or what like the top things we we personally think are challenging about working in this space. Doing a podcast every week. Done. Podcast over. That is the most challenging part. <laughs> Sometimes. Is that a thing? Like, do you think designers feel like they have to have a podcast? Like, if you're not podcasting, no, no, are you a designer? I, you know, I think I, I'm i making stuff up. There's things that are way harder. But there is something to, like, if you're committed to giving back, like, how do you how do you keep doing that? But I think that's probably supersedes design. Should designers podcast? <laughs> okay. So, for real, though, <laughs> what's challenging about working in design? So... When I was thinking about this this subject for this week's episode, I wanted it to be something that you and I can just like share our personal experience or perspective on cool. and discuss. And okay. so I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you might have to say on this. Uh, but I think I can start. Uh, so when I think about what is really challenging about working in design, I think there's probably two or three things at the top for me, one of which is demonstrating and communicating the value of the work we do as designers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in some spaces like engineering, for example, you can see the output and it's very clear. Like, does the thing work or not for design? A lot of it is often very subjective. Not, I don't think that's actually true, but it certainly comes across that way in that we could put a lot of work into the, to the jobs we do as designers. And at the end of the day, the CEO, our boss, someone could come along and be like, nope, I don't like it. And like, you failed. And it's yeah. how do you communicate as a designer? Well, you know, is it accomplishing the goal we set out to accomplish? And for design, what does that mean exactly? Often it comes down to like sentiment. Do our customers feel like they're having an enjoyable experience with the product? Are they able to do the thing they need to do in the most efficient Task way? Task value. Yep. Yep. Any thoughts on that point? Like, Yeah. I mean, every time I start a new job, I always have to go in and talk to people and ask them the very basic question about what do you see the value of design being? What do you expect from your design counterparts? How have you seen design work well with you in the past? How have you been challenged? And I remember somebody a couple of jobs back was, um, said, you know, the best design is invisible. And I was like, Oh, I need, you know, I, I was like, I think I might agree with what you're saying, but I really needed to understand what she meant by that. And it was like, she was looking for really like sort of fluid, efficient experiences. But I was having a reaction that was like, ooh, does she just think that, you know, design is sort of the magical solution at the end? Or does she think, you know, it's invisible because we've acknowledged the problem before you knew that you had it. And so like everybody sort of has a different um, perception based on how they've used design in the past if they're not a designer. Um, you know, sometimes it's a question of seat at the table, which is, you know, is design valued up front in the process or are they just sort of the, the service, um, the service part. And so even still, like when I'm working at companies that I know have really solid design, uh, or respected and, and recognized design, uh, organizations, it's still, I still hold my breath a little bit just because I, I still know there's, there's folks who, may have different perceptions, perceptions, and I might have to do the work of building the relationship and doing some education and doing some demonstration and, and showing them what design can offer. Yeah. I think that's a Don Norman quote. I think, uh, 
you know, effective, the best design is invisible. Uh, and yeah, there, there's a lot to that, right? Where I'm trying to think here. I mean, I'm the, that, that take is design doesn't get in the way. And so it, it isn't, it isn't a visible piece, but it's still, you know, when you think, when you take that to product design, like Don, Don Norman's talking about, you know, design in everyday, in everyday life. Um, when you take that into product design, you're like, well, you actually have to have an interface. And so it's not that it's invisible, it's that it's visible, but the thing it does is not blocking. Okay. So this is great. I'm, I'm so excited to dive into this with you. I think this is actually the crux of the problem uh, and why design is so challenging. So when I think about, you know, effective design being invisible or good design being invisible, what, what I think that means to me is not the output of the design is invisible, but the, all of the process and the work and the, the thinking and analysis and intentionality behind the design, sure. that's invisible, right? And to a large degree, that's very, very true. With code, you can see the actual engineered code. Right. You might not understand it, but you can see it. And you can see the outputs of it and whether or not it's effective and working, bugs or not. But I'm actually working on a, a Skillshare course on this, right, mm-hmm. this subject right now. Uh, when we think about design... Bad design is like immediately obvious. It's anytime you walk up to a door, this is Don Norman's example, and you, you try to pull on it because it's got a handle, but it's a push door. Like that's bad design. And you know it right away because you can't use this stupid thing, right? Like, right. And that's the example of it getting in the way. Right. Like exactly. you actually notice the bad design. You might not notice the good design, um, but there still is, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of an example where, you know, some there's, there's times where we as designers say, oh, it works for me this way. So I do it. Um, I, I always know to push on the door, pull on the door, whatever it is. And so I don't experience that friction in my life. Um, but it's the process, the operations, the thinking, the rationale that don't get in the way, the good design. So, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I still have to dig in with that person and say, what do you mean by invisible? Right. And she might actually mean really lean or it just works. Simplified. Um, or she might mean like, I actually don't want you know, our designers to get in the way. And so, you know, it took actually a a few workshops and it wasn't her, her, I don't even remember what her exact interpretation was, but it was, um, it was more of the minimal Mm -hmm. sort of approach. Mm -hmm. And I actually think our design needed to like stand up and lead and guide and re re um, reteach behaviors and start new habits. And so there's times where I'm like, I don't know if that's the case. Like, if we're looking, this is a big mental models question to me, which I talk about a lot, but you know, mental models are the way we understand things to be. And so if you want, if you're used to pulling doors open, you're always going to go up to a door and pull it open and say, you know, the mental model is doors always open outward. And maybe we realize that that actually disrupts the flow of traffic. And so we need to figure out how to push a door open. And so we have to change that mental model. And we may do that just by saying, push on the door. And so that way you actually have to like stop and cognitively understand that it's different than how you used to do it. But the design gets in the way in order to teach a better way. And maybe that's flow of traffic or something. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's a a really great example, actually. Um, your, your example here is something I also do where you really need to talk to people on your team and the people you'll be working with to understand what their mental model of design is and what their expectations are. That's definitely something everyone I think should do 
whether or not you're a leader or an IC designer, individual contributor, trying to understand how people's perception of design across your org uh, kind of works with your expectation can help align, but it's going to take work. And I think that's, again, one of the challenging parts about design is how do you not only do your job effectively, but help others on the team understand how you're doing it, why you're doing it, what the outcomes are. Because someone on your team might say, like like you said, Jasmine, uh, you know, maybe it's your manager or someone on the product org. They say, we want this, all of our apps to be super elegant or we want all the doors to open outward. And your job as a designer is to say, well, I've done the research, I've done analysis, I've looked at the business objectives and the uh, the the best possible design is going to be maybe not what you expected. And here's all the work that went into that. I think part of the problem though is some people just don't care. They just want to see the output. They want to see how is this going to impact our our product, our team, our business. Yeah, I'm sort of just like thinking as we go, but I wonder if there's a difference between sort of like, you know, what what does our capital D design function, like how do we explain the value of the capital D design function? I think sometimes we get that confused or conflated or maybe over index on one than the other, then how do we sort of like um, find the most value and use for design within the environment that we're given? And that's sort of like we have this, um, we have this sort of like idealized understanding of what design can do and we spend a lot of time working towards that and that's great. And then there's times where we have to understand how do we accommodate or negotiate with current partners in the situation and say, you know, this organization doesn't want design in the strategy room. Do I have to explain the value and, or do I have to, you know, sort of, um, optimize for the execution side and the output side. And I think that's, there's like a philosophical debate that we have to have. And then there's a practical debate that we have to have or that we can have, maybe not have to, to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we make the most impact long-term? And that's probably sort of like helping the organization philosophically understand what design, value design has to offer. Or there's practically, which is on this project right now, where am I going to best spend my energy and time to allow de- design to actually bring value uh, by my current involvement? That's right. Yeah, everything you just said, completely agree. So there's a few ways, I don't know if I've talked about this in previous episodes, but I'll share again. There are a few ways I've started doing this uh, at Gem, my company, where I'm building a design team. And for the first time in the company's three-year history, design is now a new function. And so to help kind of do both of these things at the, the macro mm-hmm. and the micro scale, uh, some examples of what I'm doing. One is I, when I first joined the company, I talked to every single person in the company. We're a really small company, but I set up time. I think it took about three months to talk to everyone in the company and ask them exactly like, what are your expectations of design? What is design to you? Some people thought it was aesthetics. Some people thought it was very much process oriented or workflow or task flow oriented. Um, some people had no expectations. Some people had worked with design before. Some had not all those kind of things. And the, the part of why I did that was just to, build those those relationships get face to face as well as understanding kind of how they thought about design from there i started building a roadmap of what i think design could do for the company everything from a rebrand which we just launched which is very aesthetically uh prominent but also conveys a lot of things like 
your brand principles or philosophy. Mm-hmm. There's also things like uh, every week I do what we call design review weekly, which is just me sitting down for an hour. Well, now the design team and anyone in the company is invited to attend. And we just talk about some of the latest design work and we ask for feedback and opinions. And the feedback I've gotten from those sessions has been really remarkable because people will come and say, I didn't know design was so deep. Like you had to actually really think deeply about these things and how you have to talk to customers and expand your perspective and it results in this kind of work. So those are the kind of things that I've been doing. On top of that, what we're about to kick off here is a, a very large initiative to establish design principles, which I mm-hmm. think is a key to helping everyone align on expectations for what design does in the org. Right, right. And I, I mean, you're, we're under the conversation of like, what's the hardest thing as a project designer that you might have to deal with? Like these are things that you're finding hard, but instead of saying, oh, that's hard, like I don't know how to deal with it, you're just sort of coming up on them one example at a time and, and figuring out how how to make progress towards a larger goal of having design visible. I'm curious, did you, when you like when you think that that's one of the hard things, is it because you you had an anticipation that this would be hard or did you sort of just notice like step by step that oh, this is actually difficult. Like, oh, I present my work and they don't understand what it is. Or, oh, I try and, you know, get budget for a headcount and they don't understand what it is. Yeah, it's something that I've noticed throughout my career. And I I, I suspect most designers have encountered this situation at one point or another in mm-hmm. their career, even if they're brand new to design. You go, you present an idea to someone. And even if you've done the, the full process, you feel like you've done a lot of the hard work and you've come up with a great solution, someone just like looks at it and says, I don't like that. And like do mm. something different. Or just like you said, you, in my case, you know, pushing for more headcount, we need more researchers to join the design team. We need more designers and here's the problems that we're going to try to tackle. And the, the challenge that we face as designers is not necessarily people pushing back, but they just don't, it's hard for them to understand the perspective of design. Many people have this misconception of, well, you're just making things pretty why do we need a team yeah. to do that? And in the first example, it's like, you know, the old like stakeholder swoop and poop where they come in and say, no, we should do it this way. And you're like, oh, but I did this process. And in this case, you probably haven't, you know, shown your process. That's right. And your job is to actually go in and say, okay, here's where we, here's how we understood the problem. Here's where we got the insights from to understand more deeply about the problem. Here's how we formulated solutions. Here's how we evaluated solutions. And this is what we came to. But here's, here's why this is the challenge, right? Because there are two exa- two things, well, there's usually three things that happen as a result of that. You share your process, you you talk about your due diligence, trade-offs, all these things, the intentionality, and the three possible outcomes are they, they understand, they align with you, you move on, that's positive. The other two that are a little bit more negative is they don't care. They, they want things done their way, which is a terrible situation to be in, and we're not going to get into that, what to do there, but that's one outcome. And then the other is they, they don't care to hear the rationale, right? They, they don't understand why you're doing that. Why are you spending your time talking to customers? Why are you spending your time yeah. iterating? Just do the thing we told you to do. Like those certainly happen. Yeah. And I, I'm actually, I have a situation where I did that to somebody once. Like I, this was back when I was working at Facebook on payments and I had, um, I was the lead designer and I had a ton of work to do and I needed to hire a contractor to come in and I needed her to just do the work. And so she came in and did a bunch of research and had different perspective. Um, and I didn't really have time to dig into that. And so I just like, 
I was, what I was really doing was appeasing engineers with a design resource wall. And I ended up scrapping a bunch of her work. And I look back on that and I was like, that was just such an awful move of me to not give her sort of the space to do it. And I was a designer, but it was my objectives were already clear. It was to, I should have hired a production designer instead of someone who was going to dive into it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't sort of respect her process and I didn't listen to it. Um, and you know, there's a risk there that the outcome is, you know, could it have been better with her perspective? I don't know. Like we never evaluated both results against each other. I know the outcome was fine. And, but there is some like almost arrogance there that that I had. And and maybe the folks who come in and, and blast stuff and say, uh, yeah, you did this, but you know, I don't care or I don't believe that that's the right way. So I'm just going to put my direction there and make you do that. Like there's, there's something there where, you know, maybe they've been versed in the space for way longer and they actually know that, or they have history and understand that we've tried that what you just presented before and it doesn't work for X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's a little bit, that's, that's not saying like design doesn't have value. It's saying, you know, design has more to learn. And I think those can somehow be interpreted as as the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes us hard is that you may not actually be, you know, your, your sort of feeling might be that, oh, you know, this stakeholder doesn't value design, but they actually might, they might really value parts of the process where it's all about the understanding the problem and research and um, understanding the users. And they might not have that context in a different way than you do, or a more, a more deep, a deeper way than, than you do. And so like, actually understanding that the problem might not be value of design. The problem actually might be, you know, just accuracy of the solution or or relevance or something like that. Yes, absolutely. And I've personally been in numerous situations where exactly what you're describing is the reality where design approaches something and they get some pushback and immediately the designer says, you know, Oh, well we're not valued or, or they don't understand and they might not, but they also might. And so I think that the part of this challenge for designers of this misconception and like kind of showing the value and process of design comes down to building those relationships. Mm -hmm. You need to understand each other and what each other kind of values. I think you mentioned this a minute ago, talking to people about what their expectations are, what their goals are uh, for design as well as their own role. And then your job is to advocate for design as part of that process. And sometimes that means making hard trade-offs in some cases, if, if you get pushback or someone says like, we've researched this before and we just need to execute this thing. I don't know. It's not going to be all the time, but sometimes you need to just say like, yep, okay, we're going to move forward on this thing. And, uh, later on, maybe we'll reevaluate or take another look. We'll have a conversation about, uh, what went well, what didn't go well, how we can evolve this, all those kind of things. But Mm -hmm. as a designer, that's really your job is to not only educate others, but also to be educated and to sometimes make those hard trade-offs. Yeah. And I would, um, sort of like posture that, this isn't just a design thing. Like this is actually any, any discipline you go into, you're probably going to have to, you know, make sure your, your peers and your collaborators understand what value you have to offer. Think about like research and writing, um, and product analytics and PMM product marketing managers. Like we have all these different functions in tech that have to work together. And unless you've had good experience and sort of deep experience working with them, you might not know the value of other of other organizations or other functions as well. And I think like one of the things we sort of do a disservice to each other by is saying, Oh, it's so hard for designers to work with engineers or, you know what? Every time design has to fight for a seat at the table. And I even see leaders saying this, like 
And maybe it's true that in their experience, every organization they've gone to, they've had to fight for the seat at the table. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, like, it's not always. And I think sometimes the disservice we do ourselves is by assuming that there's going to be a problem. And so then we create a problem rather than just sort of going through the process of saying, you know, hey, I'm going to have to get to know my colleagues. I'm going to have to understand how to work together uh, or help us understand how to work together. They're going to too. like, I'm going to need to help them understand design, but I'm also going to have to learn to understand engineering and say, that's just sort of the part of forming. And I think, you know, that disservice of sort of playing victim Mm -hmm. and saying that, oh, design just has such a hard battle. I think we should just be cautious about how we talk about that. And I, I'm I'm telling, I'm telling you this from thinking about, you know, all the, all the leaders that I interact with where I see these themes coming out of leaders and it's not always true. Yeah. And so how do we, how do we really start to like, you know, change the system. So we think about it in a positive way and think about this as part of the natural sort of order of our jobs and then help advocate for, the disciplines who follow us, and I'm thinking very specifically of research, which uh, UX research has sort of, it's been around for a really long time, but has sort of come up in scale right behind product design. And now, you know, content strategy, UX writing, um, content design, whatever you want to call it, is sort of like following behind there. So like, I, I don't think we have to perpetuate this sort of like, oh, this is always going to be so hard when it's actually gotten substantially better. And it's going to keep getting harder if we make it harder. Yes, I, I wish I could in real life underline everything you just said because it's completely right in my mind, in my experience. So, uh, I mean, w- you had mentioned when we first started talking, like there's a bunch of things you can think of that are really hard for being a designer. Do you have others or was that sort of your like keystone? Yeah, I think that's one of the, t- the top ones that as you start to look at that situation, it, it breaks down into a few other instances. I'm trying to recall what initial language I had. But, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. Do, do you have a, an alternate challenge in the world of design? I mean, hmm. I guess what I was thinking just was along the lines of like ethical and and moral responsibility. Um, I, I often carry a weight with me uh, of designer and I know that's because like a lot of my personal like life purposes in my work. And so that there's a weight on that, that I've always felt, especially when I was working in education, I was like, you know, Hey, if I'm leading education, you know, teams, teams that are designing for ed tech and we're designing for things like, you know, equity and making sure that people have equal opportunity of getting, you know, the right education and therefore jobs and living great lives. Like that to me was like, I need to do my job really, really well, um, in order to make sure that that equality happens. And then I sort of like stepped back and said, there's lots of people who can, um, help, sort of like create that. And if I have to step aside for a little bit to, to pass that weight on to somebody else, I can do that. Like there are people who are, who are ready to do that. But I was thinking, um, about the, um, product design class that we just did. And one of our students, Alex was talking about, um, sort of all the systemic inequities. And we were talking about healthcare. I think we've talked about this already, but we were talking about healthcare and even how things like COVID are unequally spread because, those who are sort of white and wealthy have great, you know, tend to have great health care. Well, disproportionately, you know, black and brown people don't have the same opportunities in, in education and in jobs. And, you know, the system is sort of rigged so that when it comes to health care, they won't have equal access. And the conversation we were having, it was just like, you know, and then, you know, 
systemic oppression and racism. Like there's just so many things that are broken in our world. And when she sort of posed that as a thought, I was like, I was just thinking, I was like, what, how do we get out of this? And the the thing that came to my head is, you know, it's the Antoinette Carroll, you know, systems of oppression are designed. And so that means that we can redesign them. And that to me, like when we were talking about that, it was like, there is no, there is no silver bullet solution. We have to break these things down and we have to redesign pieces of them. And it's not, it's not like a designers are going to save the world kind of thing, but I do think that design has a key responsibility and not just product design, but design um, and people who have chosen careers of design, even if they're not design isn't in their title. Um, I think there's a huge responsibility there to help change the world for the better. And even when we're working on things like recruiting or for me, like files and, you know, business messaging software, I think there's, there's a role that we have to play to make sure that not only the way we, not only the products that we output, the, but the way we go about our work, um, promotes that equity and a better world. Yeah, we, we talked about this in literally our, our previous episode, for those who haven't heard it yet, designing <laughs> responsibly. See, you can tell that this is the stuff that's on my mind is like, I can't stop talking about it because it's that this is what I feel is hard. Yes. Uh, so I'm just, I'm processing uh, some of the examples you just gave because my my gut reaction, I don't think it's true and I want to follow up on this. My gut reaction is like, this isn't just design. You know, it's not for design to figure this out. This is on everyone who does any type of quote unquote design, like you said, uh, it's the product managers, it's the researchers, the engineers, it's, it's everyone else. People in government. It's like, you know, it's, uh, school principals and, you know, store owners based on where they get, where they solicit their goods from and who they let in their doors. Like it's, it's really everyone. But I think that in some ways, like we are, we are the, the masters of those skills um, we were even we were even talking. We went on our walk this morning to go get coffee and croissants. And as we were walking back, we you and I were talking about like um, sort of the optimizations we have in our life. And I, I felt like I w- we were having a meeting, and I was talking about like, well, here's what we need to um, prioritize, and here's the things that we need to deprioritize, and we understand the implications of these. And I was like, man, I just feel like I'm talking like a designer. I feel like I'm having a conversation with a PM. And we're trying to figure out our, our product strategy, but that's kind of how it is. Like that is what most businesses are doing. Um, and the question to me is, do they have people who are thinking through these things? Yeah. So this, I think this is all actually is a little bit related to what I was saying about the misconception of design and trying to, to talk mm. about the value. Mm. Uh, and one of my favorite Twitter arguments to have with design Twitter hashtag don't, don't hashtag me. Uh, <laughs> Don't, don't at me. me. Yeah. One of my favorite things is everyone's a designer. And like, I don't know where mm. you fall in that group, Jasmine, but I know a lot of people hate when we say that. But the reality is, in my my perspective, everyone is a designer in some capacity. Now, I'm a product designer, meaning I sit down and design digital products. But everyone is designing something in some capacity. Because when we talk about design, what we're really talking about is uh, this intentionality to have a plan to build something. And when you think about everyday life, we're all designing something at some point. You've designed your closet layout. Like whether you know it or not, there's Ugh, some plan behind need that. to rework that. <laughs> well, uh, I, but just like you said, like 
store owners and principals parents and teachers. like parents are actually designing how they how they parent and how they shape a That's child right. in their you know the experiences that they give them the way they instruct them the way they discipline things like that that's right and so i, I and i think i think like is everybody a designer sure does this debate really matter not at all um but you know this idea of like, how do you foster the skills in people? That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that that's and that's that is like where I find my purpose. And that's probably why I feel a weight or a, a weight in a way that like sometimes it is heavy, but some it's like an obligation. It's like, what is my responsibility? And it's to teach designers to teach skills to designers so they can think about these things. And that's why you and I do this podcast is we believe that we have enough diversity of experience to offer not the perspective, but a perspective on many, many things. And the intention is just to sort of provoke and, or be provocative, you know, I guess that is provoke. Um, but to help people think differently and to use design, uh, not design thinking makes me think of that horrible talk. We Don't went say to. It. Yeah. Don't say it. No, <laughs> I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't credit anything, but you know, not the sort of traditional design thinking, but how do we use our skills to apply to make change? Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going with that argument of everyone's a designer, but designers, quote unquote, by trade are, they should be uh, the experts in this area. How do we think critically about the work we do? How do we consider, quote unquote, edge cases? Uh, how do we consider when things are going to go wrong? It's a little bit of a silly example, but I'll give it anyway. Uh, we recently got the latest Apple Watch. And yeah, the designers behind this must have bless their hearts overlooked the 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 challenge of someone wearing an Apple Watch with all these fancy sensors, and yet they have a tattoo that now prohibits those sensors from working. Yeah, and I, as you know, have had quite a little bit of frustration over the fact that anytime I go work out, it my workouts stop randomly because I have wrist tattoos. So it's it, insane. So this is it. I say this is a silly example because I don't think, oh, I was going to say no one's going to die from this, but they do have the heart sensor, so maybe someone <laughs> would die. Uh, it's a little bit of a silly example because I don't think, you know, fixing tattoos working with the fancy, expensive Apple Watch is really going to do much. But I do think it's it's a demonstration of how design does play out in everyday life. And everyone's role as a designer is to make sure that these things work as they're intended. You've now walked up to the door and you're trying to pull it, but it's a push door. Yeah. Like there's a problem here and design should have the capability and the capacity to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right? Indeed. <laughs> okay. So let's think about a, a few more challenges that we might see uh, at the top of the funnel. I, I think that your example is really, really great. Um, there's again, this misconception around what design is. There's this obligation we have as designers to do to design responsibly to help others in some capacity if we can if we have the experience what else is challenging about working in design i have one floating around in my head and i don't even know if i find it challenging it's more of a curiosity and that's um like if i think if i want to keep working for the rest of my life if i think what i'm going to be doing in the next 20, 10 20 years it's probably around the same thing but i actually don't know what design is going to be like like i find design really hard to forecast um and that's things like, you know, the internet has only been around for so long. Mobile devices have only been around for so long. Uh, watches as, as you know, phones have only been around for so long. Like we projected the future in many ways. Um, self-driving cars 
kind of a new thing, like kind of projected AR, VR. But what does that really practically mean? And I think this comes up in a lot of people trying to plan their careers. Should I get into X? Should I get into VR? Um, how do I sort of prepare myself for the future? And I, that's not something that weighs on me because I, or I find challenging because I'm like, figured it out thus, th- thus far, like it's going to be fine. When I got two degrees in graphic design, that didn't hold me back from moving into product design and having a pretty you know, amazing trajectory in there. Um, and so I, I know that at least I'll be resilient enough and malleable enough at the same time to be able to adopt. But I think that gives especially new folks a lot of anxiety over um, how do I set myself up to make sure I'm successful in the long run. Yes, I love this. I, I think you're absolutely right. There's, I don't want to talk about it, but I just want to raise it and then we can maybe cover it in another episode. There's also this notion of in the world of design, how do you continue to work in that 20 years on? Specifically product design. I think the vast majority of product designers end up moving into like leadership management roles because like the space is so unpredictable and also like what are you supposed to do to, to have and contrary larger to, impact? to popular belief like even as a leader you still have to keep up the skills like right. i know so many people in leadership will say oh i don't want to be hands-on because i'm a leader and i'm like oh man you still have to be able to coach your people and i'm not necessarily talking about tools although tools are helpful it's tools and process and being in the weeds with understanding customers and you still have to actively be at least capable of being a designer like your ICs are. That's a lot to keep up with. Yeah, especially in an in industry that is really evolving so, so rapidly. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's bonkers to me. So on this subject, I actually wrote an article not too long ago on my blog uh, about... You bragging about yourself? Maybe. That's no, cool. No. I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to address this point. Uh, I wrote an article called... I, I'm just here to keep you humble, you know? Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. appreciate that. Where digital product design is going. And in this article, I, I, I talk about a little bit of, uh, around what you just described. This space really is unpredictable. Like, I don't think anyone has a good concept of what's coming around the corner. It could be these hypothetical AR glasses from Apple, and that's going to become the new standard. And how do you design for something like that where there is no, no interface to interact with? It's all like voice or something or some swipe gesture or something. I'm just, I was thinking of Google Glass and I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, you know, self-driving cars or all these kind of things. And what I think design needs to do in this space to face this challenge is really focus on a few key things. One is the foundational fundamentals of design. These have not changed for, um, I would say, even hundreds of years. Like understanding how shape interacts with each other and how people understand what they're looking at is interactive versus not and what's mm-hmm. approachable versus not and consistency and form and function hierarchy and like all, yeah. that's right line all the, all the basics like if you can deeply deeply understand those things it's guaranteed they're not going to change mm-hmm. the format they they kind of participate in will evolve but if you understand those basics you'll be okay i think there's also a few other points that i'll quickly point to and if you have any um, additional ideas on anything i'm about to say please just jump in uh, one is more humanistic design leaders. And what I mean by that is mm. product design, just to that moral responsible design point, it's we've now evolved to the point where we understand, hey, an app on a phone can sway elections of an entire nation. Billions of people are using this product. Mm-hmm. And as designers, we have a major, major role in that. You and I yep. both work at Facebook. We have plenty of people who work at Instagram, Twitter, 
these are massive products and design plays a very key role because now not only are you designing a door that says push and really it's pull, but now like there's millions of people trying to get through that door. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing. So it, again, back on that point, we need more leaders who can think about that humanistic element. Empathy is a kind of an overused term here, but I think it's accurate and it's true. We need people who can think em- uh, empathetically, empathetically. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Uh, and we need leaders who can push that on to other designers and their team. I, I want to pause really quickly because I, I don't think empathy st- saves the world. Like I think in many ways we've said that designers have the role of being empathic. However, unless you've lived in you know your user's shoes, you will never completely understand them. And so sometimes it's it's actually designers, design leaders probably need to be able to create um, diverse teams. And it's that, yeah. not enough to be... Uh, empathic empathetic (laughs) empathic yeah very variations on a very similar anyway um yeah so it's 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 about making sure that we have the right mix of people to represent users and that doesn't necessarily be developing your empathy it might be actually who you hire in yes absolutely agree and it's not even about hiring did we talk about this in the last episode it's just about i don't remember anything we've ever talked about that's fine it's not (laughs) just sometimes why we have some repeats it's totally cool yeah, it's, I think it's actually acceptable because those points really just matter. I, I think that's why well, we're and we change our opinions over time and learn more. And, and we're, we're just talking. We're having a conversation. A conversation doesn't just end because you had it one time. Yeah. So it's not just about pulling people into your team. I think that's one of the most effective ways to build a truly great design team is to have those people on your team and participating. But it's also just about pulling them into the conversation. And the, I'm not talking about research here. I'm saying like, you don't have to hire someone to get their opinion and perspective. Just build a relationship with them, have those conversations, show the work, get their perspective, uh, not with the intention of building your empathy, but from really using them as a resource. That sounds really bad when I think about it that way, but something like that, you know, just expanding the conversation. Uh, so that's one thing. The other talking about empathy, the other thing that I think it's going to come down the line is more empathetic tools for designers. Mm. So this is a little bit weird, but I think this is true. Could we say more like, equitable and inclusive tools as opposed to empathetic because that still says that we're we're, you and I as like white people can build that muscle of being empathetic and we can and that's not enough like um I don't think that's yeah you're absolutely right and I I keep saying this because I think it's the term that most people understand but you're and and like frankly like we haven't evolved our language to be diverse equitable and inclusive like we just haven't yes that's right so I, I think we will see more of these tools that do help kind of try to try to find ways to to bridge that equity gap between us who are designing on pristine brand new MacBook Pros and our users who are like on a 1990 Dell laptop. I don't even know if that's a thing. Or on their phone going to a job on a train. Or they don't have fast internet or they don't speak the language, their device is broken, all these kind of things. We're going to have to have tools that help us understand or not even understand, but just work in those scenarios. So one example I gave uh, in my blog post long ago was Dropbox, who built a set of uh, tools for Figma. Do you know Figma? Of course I know Figma. Oh, sorry. Jeez. I didn't mean Figma. I misspoke. Framer. Yes, I do know Framer <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. So Framer is a great prototyping tool. And uh, what Dropbox team did a while back was they built it so that if you're prototyping something interactive in Framer, so an app experience, you can set it up so that you get like a random notification that pops up or suddenly the screen freezes or the internet is slower. So not designing in isolation for just right. you know the screens of your tool. It's like, how does this actually, yeah. 
And That's so cool. The quote from this was Dropbox uh, did this or Framer did this. Dropbox did this for Framer. So there's a, there's a tool that you can actually download. Uh, go Google my. That's my, my company. I had no idea. Yeah, you work there. Uh, the quote from them is: "Well, it's great to present work in a sanitized format. It's also important to remember that those scenarios don't actually exist. In fact, a user's environment is usually a busy, distraction-prone space. At Dropbox, we found that simply presenting our work with a realistic desktop environment behind the design surfaced new ideas and changed the way or challenged the way we thought about design interfaces." That's so good. Um, and what this makes me think of is like, you know, how many times do we say, oh, we'll just email them a notification. And you don't think of, you know, sending an email in the swarm of other marketing emails or other notification emails and how that exists in not only the ecosystem, but the email client and how that filters junk mail or how many email clients is somebody using? So yeah, it's, it's a, I actually think this is just, good systems design yeah definitely yeah so we are just about out of time i think we've covered quite a bit of things here but hopefully people got some good symptoms or some good uh insights from this and the last thing i'll wrap up by saying is you know all these kind of quote-unquote challenges we described they are not insurmountable they are absolutely something we as an industry as individuals we can tackle these we should be uh, optimistic i think and uh the features just because they're problems and we're designers and we are good at identifying the problems understanding why they're problems and helping understand and design solutions. Whoa, meta. Wow. Okay, until next week. Bye.